0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. This month marks 100 years since former Missouri Governor Frederick Gardner signed a resolution ratifying the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. That action in the summer of 1919 made Missouri the 11th state to formally support women's suffrage, and white women across the nation gained the right to vote a year later. To honor the centennial, Governor Mike Parson recently signed a proclamation recognizing the pivotal moment in suffrage history, and Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft presented the proclamation to members of the League of Women Voters of Missouri and uh, and others earlier this week. Joining us in, s- in studio today to talk about the advancement of women's suffrage and equal rights in Missouri are Nancy Miller, co-president of the League of Women Voters of Metro St. Louis, and Vivian Eveloff, director of the Sue Shear Institute for Women in Public Life at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Nancy and Vivian, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Let's talk about, first of all, the the, the 100th anniversary of of this. What does it mean to us today? And do, do we take for granted the fact that for so long women didn't have the right to vote?
2: Well, it was among the many rights they didn't have. It was not alone, they couldn't own property in their own name, there were a lot of things that made us less than a full citizen.
1: I think something to remember, I I agree with Evelyn, Um, also is that during those years, once women did have the right to vote in uh, 2020, women began participating in the democratic process. That is, they were contacting their legislators, they were involved in lobbying for issues involving women and children, they were actively involved in school boards. They, some could do it before then. But they, uh, women have never stopped being involved in politics and the election process because of their influence in other areas also. So I think it's, it's encouraging. I think uh, it's very encouraging after 100 years that we still have as many women working in to encourage and advance the rights of women and voting for everyone. That's very encouraging.
0: A hundred years seems like a long time, but if you take that in the context of how old this country is or how old modern democracy is, it's kind of shameful that it's only been a hundred years.
1: Well, yes. And, you know, when you think that Abigail Adams uh, told her husband when he was working on writing the Constitution, don't forget the women, make sure the women are in there, and he didn't do it then. It shouldn't be a surprise that it took us a while to get it done, but it doesn't make it any less important. And there were lots of events between then and 1919 also.
0: Are there any barriers still in place that keep women from fully exercising the right to vote or to be part of the political process?
2: I don't think there are any official barriers. There are a lot of psychological barriers and traditions that are very hard to change such as well i i'm a working woman my mother was a working woman she was the only mother of any of my contemporaries who actually had an office to go to and wasn't home when i came home and making me cookies and it set for me and for my daughter a, a model of the things that are our options as of woman growing up and uh, wanting to be out in the community and make a difference in the world in a number of different ways.
1: Um, I think with women also, we have to remember that um, institutions are set up a lot of times. They're run by men. The boards of directors are men in most cases. um, Schools have always been an exception to this, thankfully. Today more women vote than men do. They have for quite a while in elections. Um, it is just surprising to me that women, one of the things that women don't always do is encourage other women to vote. And I think that's something that we are, all of us who are involved in this issue are trying to increase. We see more women each year, thankfully, look at the U.S. House of Representatives. That was fantastic. In Missouri, we are still at a very low percentage of women uh, in the House of Representatives and the Senate. And those are things that we have to work to increase.
0: Even though the, the encouraging signs in the U.S. House of Representatives, it's still, I mean, it, it, shouldn't that number be around 50?
1: <laughs> well, I think it should be 51 personally, but that's just my opinion. But um, well, of course it should. It should mirror. And when I say around time.
0: 50, 55 is also around 50. <laughs> well, sure.
1: It should, it should mirror the population. Just as the makeup in our minorities should mirror the population, and that hasn't happened either. But, uh, you know, in any society, I don't care where you are in the world, uh, societal structures are very difficult to change. Culture is very difficult to change. So we know it's a slow process. We just thought more would have happened maybe in the, you know, 250 years that we've had. So.
0: Nancy, can you talk a little bit about the the League of Women Voters because um, the organization, it, it at least from my perspective, its reputation now is it almost has nothing to do with women so much as it is just a facilitator for good democracy. And and uh, and how does that changed and evolved over time uh, to be something that is run by women? And, and but it its its scope is so much bigger.
1: Well, I think the scope has always been the same. The scope has not changed. The mission has not changed in 100 years. In November, St. Louis, uh, we celebrate our 100th year in St. Louis, and the mission has not changed. We want to educate the voters, citizens, and we want to make democracy work. Um, those those two parts of it, education and then advocacy. With the education, advocacy comes protecting the right to vote, protecting voting, Um, In our league today, we have over 500 members in St. Louis. We have, I think right now, around 125 people who are registering voters. Now, the percentages are, um, we probably have, oh, maybe 3 to 5% men. But the men who are there believe that the women are underserved and um, under-recognized. So it's a joint effort, even, you know, that doesn't make any difference what we're made up of.
0: What can the average person uh, do, uh, to help this process and, 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 and make sure that women aren't underrepresented and under, uh, uh, recognized for their contributions?
1: Well, I think women can continue to do what they're starting to do is to run for public office. The Sue Shear Institute for years, how many years? Gosh. 25. Yeah. Has been working to, um, uh, make it attractive for women to want to run, to mentor them, to assist them, to follow through. They are just the premier group on helping women run for political office and get elected. And what we do, I think, as a kind of a a very good partner to that, is we give opportunities for women to participate in a less front row seat, you might say, in that we we go to the the, uh, legislature. We testify before committees. We advocate. We speak with representatives. We write articles. We participate in various boards around the county. We, as I say, register to vote. We work at the polls. We're part of the Voter Protection Coalition. I mean, I could go on and on. We have a whole list of things that we're involved in that allow women, again, who aren't ready to run for office, an idea about what they could be doing to be contributing to this. And, And women are stepping forward, all of the women's organizations in St. Louis, and I won't name one because I would forget somebody. (laughs) Everyone has seen a huge increase in membership in the last couple of years. So women are stepping up.
0: Um, I I know that uh, that both organizations uh, that you represent are extremely nonpartisan, but the Democratic field, because it's the one that's open for president right now, has a number of very strong candidates that are women. Is that a sign of of progress in, in both of your minds?
2: I think so. I I am particularly interested in the judiciary. And Missouri has a very interesting approach in the urban areas to how to become a judge. And we have more and more women going to law school. And it's a career opportunity for them that uh, they often don't get tapped on the shoulder and say, you know, you're a pretty good lawyer, you'd be a terrific judge. And so I have worked a lot with women who have become lawyers and Just yesterday set through a whole day's worth of interviews because there's some vacancies in St. Louis County and So that the women who were interested in applying for that position for becoming a judge went through the process of uh, Being interviewed basically. It's a it's a career move Uh, but I think The feedback I have gotten is that when people walk into the courtroom and they see a woman there, it gives them a better sense of comfort that somehow this person will understand and pay attention and not yell at them. And it's proven to be pretty much true. And we have a lot of women now who are going to be joining the bench, I hope, depending on how the governor selects from the three names he's given and presuming that there's at least one woman among them. And I know from the panel yesterday that that is the case.
0: Hmm. I, I find it very interesting. I asked about the presidential race and you immediately pivoted to the judiciary. Is, am I barking up the wrong tree? Is, is the bigger story here, are women increasing their numbers on the bench, in school boards and city councils, in county boards, in state offices? Is, is that a bigger issue than putting all of our focus on, on the, the top of the ticket?
1: Well, I don't know if it if it's, if we're really totally pivoting. It's just that there are many, many more opportunities and there's a...
0: Uh, I, I didn't mean pivot as a negative, by uh, the yeah. way. Oh yeah, that's all right, that's all
1: right. There's a real learning curve to anything and politics is the same way. Um, learning to understand the other side, the other opinion. I think that can start working on a city council working together on, in those nonpartisan situations, especially where you're not there to represent the party, you're there to represent the people. And we would hope that that same philosophy would carry forward, clear up to our houses of uh, Congress and the Senate. But we don't know that. But we would hope that there would be a progression, as women would see that they are capable of. In 1923, when the League of Women Voters started their um, citizenship classes, And they had, if you can believe this or not, they had 8,000 people, women, in St. Louis then coming to classes every week to learn how to understand the Constitution, to learn how to debate, to learn um, about the issues that would be important to them today. Uh, They did the night classes for the St. Louis Public Schools on citizenship during that time period. It was just women were so hungry to learn about what was going on, how they could affect it, how they could be involved. And that... That hasn't stopped. You know, economic issues slow it down once in a while, but women have always been aware of the fact that, that they need to be involved, they need to be learning, and that hasn't stopped. And I, I, But I don't think that's taken away the um, interest in or the concern about or the opinions about the uh, presidential races.
0: I'd like to invite our listeners into this conversation. If you have a question or comment about the advancement of equal rights in Missouri, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on Air or email us at talk at STL. Uh, publicradio.org. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue with this conversation, hopefully with your contributions as well. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. welcome back to st louis on the air i'm jonathan all we are talking with nancy miller co-president of the league of women voters of metro st louis and vivian eveloff director of the sue sheer institute for women in public life at the university of missouri st louis so we were talking about uh, uh more opportunities for women to serve and when we were putting this segment together i i just was curious the number of states that have never had a female U.S. senator, and the number was 18, and that seemed really high to me, um, how, how do, what are the easy things that can, what, what well, no, nothing's easy, what are the things that can happen to reduce those barriers so that it's not that strange a thing and everybody's had one?
1: let's
2: see. <laughs> yeah. Solve all of the world's
0: problems right now, please.
2: Where shall we begin? Part of the problem is that the commute is unappealing to a lot of people, females as well as males. Um, if you're living in Montana and you have a youngish family, are you going to want to spend most of your time in Washington, D.C.? Probably not. Now, is the father of those children going to go to Washington, D.C.? Well. If it works out at home, maybe that's the way it will shake out. But there's a lot of of those kinds of issues, and I think it's one of the reasons that women have generally followed what we call the pipeline, Mm -hmm. where you begin as um, running for school board or something local that doesn't require commuting and move on through that and end up uh, perhaps becoming governor, Mm -hmm. of which there are very few female governors. Uh, It's part of the executive barrier. And um, if not that, then going to the Senate or becoming a member of Congress. And I'm a big believer that government ought to be representative of the population being governed and that it's important to have uh, not just men and women but racial representation, the whole mix of who's going to benefit back home from what gets done in Washington or in Jeff City or in Springfield, Illinois.
1: And I think also, the um, historically, there's always been the argument that of the electability that well people wouldn't vote for a woman to be senator, or people wouldn't vote for a woman to be governor. And I think that is uh, the move to tear that idea down is moving a little bit faster these days because women are being elected to these positions. And they are being um, respected for their political positions, for the work that they've done in uh, whether it's climate or it's the health field or whatever. And I think that's going to make a difference. It's going to be, if you call it role models, whatever terms you use, for younger women to go. Um, I have granddaughters. I have a daughter and granddaughters. And I'm always encouraging them to get involved and to be part of their democracy. Um, we'll see how successful I am in the years ahead. But I think it's it's another one of those things that we can't stop doing because it's just plain hard. It's hard in our country. You look at the take the law firms around the city of St. Louis. How many women are partners in those law firms? Now, do they have 50-50? What's the, what's the ratio of their clientele? Do they have more male clients? And so that's why they need more male lawyers. You know, in the state of Missouri, how many are superintendents? How many of those are women? Uh, we are seeing more and more women in the education field becoming pres- uh, principals of schools. That has changed a lot in the last 10, 15 years. But it's very slow, you know. And again, I, I, I just can't say enough. There is progress. It isn't always right in front of us. But when you look around, look at the total numbers, you can see it is improving. And it's uh, it's something that we have to always be thinking about.
0: How much of it is it is generational? You know, because I, I, I certainly, my mom was is certainly not a wallflower in any <laughs> uh, shape or form, and, and she will speak her mind very uh, uh, succinctly and eloquently on all matters political or otherwise. So, um, having you know, that was the fem- the female role model in my life that I sat at the kitchen table with, and she would say what she thought of what elected officials were doing or not doing. And so it didn't seem strange to me at all. Um, now, I suspect her mother probably didn't talk about those things much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so is is, it, is is some of it just a waiting game and waiting for generations to come through until it's not a thing anymore?
1: I think that's part of it. I do think that's part of it. Um, the baby boomers right now, um, some of the mothers worked um my mother worked my mother worked uh, my grandmother worked uh so I was accustomed to that it didn't seem strange at all I know when I was in college a number of years ago I won't say when exactly but I can say that uh there were a number of my friends who maybe worked for a year and then they got married and had kids and that was the end of working mm-hmm. but I think that's less common now and I think it's a combination of the economic needs A young family gets married. They want a nice big house. They want this and this and this. Well, you've got a college education. Sure, you should be working, too. That's more acceptable now. So it is, I think you're correct, it is uh, generational. A lot of the expectations with older friends, they're just amazed that I'm still doing something, even though I'm retired, because I should be, you know, playing bridge, doing quiet things, volunteering at hospitals. Um, I, I didn't do that when I was younger, so I didn't see a call to do that as I am now retired. So it, it's it's an interesting social phenomenon. I'm sure people are writing books about it, the role of women in the United States too, outside of even government. It's just changing.
0: How do both of you individually and your organizations, to the extent you can speak for them, prioritize and acknowledge intersectional feminism and and how women of color, uh, their their participation is another... Uh, in, in some ways uh, another group that, that has trouble being acknowledged for their rights and their ability to participate in the system?
1: Well, I can say in the League of Women Voters, one of our main tenets now, we uh, voted on this in convention in 2016, I believe, maybe it was 14. I'm sorry if I got the number wrong out there, leaguers, I'm sorry. But um, we call it the DEI that is a part of our uh, Tenant and it's uh, for diversity, equality, and inclusion. And we do are doing our very best in the entire United States, over our 100-plus people who were at this conference last week, to make that happen. We are supposed to be sending in reports how we're making that happen, how we are including all groups into what we're doing and trying to meet the needs of those groups as we talk about Voter suppression, as we talk about advocacy, so that we're advocating also.
0: And what are some of those? When you have something good to report back, what does that look like?
1: Well, it looks like um, in St. Louis, we have increased our membership uh, minority representation from probably right around one percent to up around five. Now that's it's not where we want it to be, but it's an improvement. I'd like it to go to 10%, 15. 25. If we're going to be St. Louis, we should have it be 25%, 30%. Um, When it talks about uh, what are you doing, well, a couple of weeks ago I was asked to speak at one of the uh, rallies that they're doing for uh, women's productive rights, and there were certainly a number of groups there. Happy to participate, happy to say the the league's position on that. We will continue to support all the groups. So we're both acting out things, and we're um, trying to increase our own membership.
0: One of the things that got a lot of attention over the last couple of weeks was the outstanding performance of the U.S. women's soccer team and uh, World Cup champions uh, twice in a row, an amazing group of athletes. Um, And they took that opportunity to point out the pay discrepancy between them and their male counterparts. I'm wondering how issues like that, when they come to the fore, Uh, the correlations that you see and how you can capitalize on the public attention for something like that to help advocate for some very related things that you're working on?
2: Well, we don't do sports, I'm sorry (laughs) to say. Um,
0: University of Missouri-St.
2: Louis doesn't have a lot of sports teams. But what we do do is work with young women, usually college-age women, who participate in a program that we've sponsored since we came into existence 25 years ago, um, of learning how women in government work. So that we go to Jefferson City and we meet the Supreme Court, which is now almost 50% female in Missouri. Uh, And nobody tells little girls, oh honey, when you grow up, you can be on the Supreme Court. And we're trying to step in and say, look at all of these women doing interesting things, making a difference in other people's lives, and you can follow in their footsteps. And they often end up with mentors who help them make connections, get internships, whatever it may be that they would like to do to get into it. And the results have been pretty darn good. And there are more women on the bench than there used to be because they can see others who look like themselves, who are already on the bench, and that it's a possibility for them as well.
1: Well, the League has been um, in favor of this on record since 1923. 1946, the first bill was introduced in Congress. 1972, it became the law. In 1973, we put out our first adoption of it. We're still fighting. We still have a committee. We still advocate every year in the Missouri legislature to pass the ERA in Missouri. We would love to be the 38th state, which would allow us then to go back to Congress and say, you have it within your power to extend the time limit that we would have, and we could do this.
0: Um, uh, this clarification in uh, Umsul has a vibrant sports community with at least seven sports teams for women, and they compete in NCAA Division II. Uh, we have an email from Simon who says, "What are your efforts uh, in What are the efforts in Missouri to try to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment? And is that something that that you see as a priority that needs to happen?"
1: Well, it is for us. It's a it's a state priority, and it, it does need to happen. Uh, In Missouri, we are still not equal before the courts in our standing as women. We are working for separate bills. We're working for equal pay. We're working for um, equal. Oh gosh, I had this on paper. I apologize. It's okay. Um, There are about five tenets that are really that we're trying to get at the moment. If someone wants to look those up and email us,
0: specifically though, if um, um, is passing the equal would would Missouri ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment Yes, be a significant progress in that direction? It would
1: be. It would be. We have people there. We have uh, legislators um, filing that bill every year. We have uh, individuals going down. We have an ERA rally day at the legislature every year trying to convince other legislators to join them. There's no reason in 2019 why Missouri doesn't have an equal rights law for women.
0: Vivian, you agree? Absolutely. Well, I'd like to thank both of you very much uh, for being on the program today. Nancy Miller, co-president of the League of Women Voters of Metro St. Louis, and Vivian Eveloff, director for the Sue Shear Institute for Women in Public Life at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, for joining us today. Thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate your time today. Thank Thank you. you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.